Okay, now, uh, so I just want you to make sure you know that we're headed in a good direction. Okay, and um, so we're going to just keep doing this. So we're just going to try to really do things better. I don't necessarily want to say different. Sometimes better is the right word. Okay, different can kind of mean root, root, root. Um, different could be air quotes. Wow, things are really different, right? So we want to do things better. Does that sound good to you? All right, we want to be a great church. That's what we're going to be covering. When I'm speaking, we're going to be covering lessons from Matthew on greatness. You guys want to be great? You know, and I'm not talking about being great again. Okay, we all understand that. We're looking at being great for real. More than a slogan, we want to tap into the scriptures and understand who God is and what his intentions, plans, heart is for us. So let's be great for real. We're going to look at, and so the times I'm going to speak, if the other brothers want to speak on that, I kind of gave them the clearer passages in Matthew about being great. And what I took were the ones that might be a little more complicated. Does that sound good? I don't know if that entitles me to go way longer. I hope not. Hopefully, I could do complicated in a decent time. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4. And we're going to take a look at something here about greatness. Because whether you know it or not, whether you've gotten in touch with it or not, we kind of desire a bit of greatness in our hearts. We do. Why do we like some of the movies we watch? Because they give us a thrill. Maybe they give us a fantasy. Why do some people play video games? Because they give us this experience of excitement, greatness, importance. And when you're a little kid, you don't have small dreams, do you? You have great ones. If you're a parent or if you've ever cared for someone, you don't have small expectations, do you? You have what? Great ones. And God is our Father, and He's a Father who cares, and He wants so much more than sometimes we end up settling for. Let's go to Matthew chapter 4, in verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. Leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. From that time on, Jesus began to repeat, preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. You know, a lot of times, repent, that sounds like a threat, doesn't it? Repent. But actually, it was, it was a promise. Repentance is actually a good thing. I won't go on and on about that today. But when Jesus was saying the kingdom of heaven is near, that's actually this, wow, fulfillment of all your dreams is coming. So get your act together. Because Papa's coming home. This was an exciting thing. An amazing thing. And it begins with this notion. It says, hey, there's a great light. This is good news. A light is coming your way. Did you know Jesus is a light? See, this passage is talking about Jesus. Jesus is a great light. Nope, Jesus isn't your burden. 
Jesus isn't the person trying to put you in a box and limit you. Jesus is a great light. Do you understand that? Because sometimes we can take, it for, take him for granted. We live in America. We say, hey, Jesus this, Jesus that. When we curse, many people say, Jesus, in the curse. And we just take Jesus for granted. Do you know that Jesus is a great light? You see, where no one could heal someone, Jesus would touch that person. And a boy demon-possessed would be in his right mind. A man tearing himself with possessed by many demons would be in his right mind. Why? Because where no one could heal, Jesus could heal because Jesus is a great light. Where a woman would not be touchable because of her sin, Jesus would let her wash his feet with her tears. Why? Because Jesus is a great light. Where people would be hungry and no one would think they could be fed or should be fed. Turn them away, they would say. Jesus says, no, we can feed them because Jesus is a great light. Where no one would die, not even for a righteous man. Where no one would die for their enemy, for sure. Jesus would lay down his life because Jesus is a great light. Do you take him for granted? Do you understand much of what's good in this world comes through the message that Jesus brought, through the sacrifice that Jesus made, from the message that's in the New Testament because Jesus is a great light. And it's something that we need to hold on to and understand, to understand the heart, the character, the love of God. You see, the light matters to you. Point line one, if you hate the darkness, the light matters to you if you hate the darkness. Well, all the points are out there. Everything's there for show, huh? No suspense in this lesson today. Spoiler alert. At least we led up to darkness. I'm going to change one of the points. Oh, wow, look at that. Kathy's learning. <laughs> now you can't cheat. You, you know what? The, the second slide comes up. Oh, got it all. Then you just walk out. Lesson's done for me, right? Um, the light matters to you if you hate the darkness, you know. Sometimes we get used to the darkness. Now, I'm telling you, we can hate the darkness. If the lights went out right now, the sound went, poof, Southern California Edison had a blowout, a blackout. That unreliable company that just does horrible things. No, I'm just joking. Mike's here. He works for Southern California Edison. Mike is my friend. If there was a power outage, boom, right? We get all upset. Look at your cell phone, you know, hey, did it, did it help? Look, look for whether they, I mean, we want that power on when? Right away. Our hearts go out to, at least our hearts go out to the people in Puerto Rico. No power. You go, that's terrible. Just a thing to have no power. Right? It, we think, wow, darkness is horrible. And we don't want to live in it. We don't want to have it because we're so used to having all the power and the convenience of light. But spiritually speaking, sometimes we get used to the darkness. And here's the main point today. It's line two. We've got to dispel the darkness of the familiar. Have you gotten used to the darkness? See, what happens when it gets dark and it stays dark, we just learn to squint a little bit. We learn to walk around squinting. You go, isn't that what you always do, Dave? No. 
So if I tried to squint, you go, are you squinting? No. I mean, it's interesting. My son, I, I was walking up. He didn't get the grade that he wanted. I, and I was walking, and we were talking about it in the car. Or, or He didn't get something that he wanted. And I don't know. He thought I was unhappy with him. I did so much to make him feel happy. So, But I'm walking out of the car, and he goes, Dad, are you upset? I go, why? Because your eyes are so droopy. They're really angling down. Can you show me what they look like? I can't make my eyes look like that, Dad. I said, this is just natural. (laughs) But you learn. You learn to walk and feel and squint in the darkness. You learn to feel around. You get adjusted. If you start living in the darkness, you start doing less. Because you can't do as much as you can in the light. And sometimes the darkness of the familiar takes over our lives, and we get used to it. As a matter of fact, if they suddenly turned on the lights and your, guys, your eyes got used to the darkness, what would you feel? Pain. Because it becomes familiar. The darkness. We start getting used to loneliness and saying, well, that's just life. We get used to that. You know, when you look at a child, I don't care how introverted you think that child is. I don't care how grumpy you think that child is. Because kids can get grumpy and kids can get, kids just come something born introverted. You know what that kid always wants or needs? A hug. Everyone needs someone to talk to, but we just get used to being in the darkness. We say, well, loneliness, that's just the way I'm supposed to live. Some of us, we just live sadness. Sadness is my default with a few thrills. Insignificant. I'm just going to learn how to live unimportant meaningless. Well, you know what? Just go clock in, day in, day out, day in, day out. Sometimes we just get used to the darkness. Spiritually, we get used to the darkness. You know what? Okay, I used to be open with my sin and all my struggles, but you know, I'm just keeping inside. We get used to it. And so I'll just go to church, even though not really feel known. We get used to just no prayer and no Bible study because I haven't read my Bible and prayed consistently in a while, and life isn't that bad. We get used to the darkness. It becomes familiar. No accountability in our lives. Just, you know what happens when you have consistent accountability in your life? You get kind of used to it. And, and, and you feel like someone cares, and you, you know, you... You get used to not cap, uh, running your own ship. It's, it's interesting. When someone's led their own church for a while and they come back into a larger church, they have such adjustment because they're used to calling all their own shots. Have you ever done that, been independent for a while? Maybe go back and live in your parents' place? Uh-oh. rut row. My wife, when she got married, she had a hard time. You go, why? Because she, she married to someone who had opinions and was kind of, I'm supposed to be sort of the boss in the family. And you know what? I'm pretty easygoing, but my wife led all the women in the ministry. She was like super spiritual lady. And she had to live with me, who's not as super or spiritual or a lady. And she says, you know what, it's kind of, I think what it is, it's just hard kind of living with your boss because we also worked in the ministry together. Think about it. Before you get married, remember, it's marriage. (laughs) 
<laughs> Don't worry. I'm going to marry a man that I could dominate. Hmm. What? Rah, rah, rah. But we get used to this freedom. And it's hard to just have someone. But you know what? You know, having someone in your life, there's a benefit to it, too, because there's a closeness that you have. We get used to no sacrifice. This whole year, there's been no one harping on special or giving or harping on special or giving. And I'll be honest with you, it's probably not going to happen at all because that's not how we do things here. But we can get used to not sacrificing because someone else isn't telling us to. Not just money, but time. We get used to saying, hey, someone wants to study the Bible. Can you rework your schedule and be there? Nah, nah, I can't. We get used to living in the darkness. It becomes familiar. It becomes familiar enjoying not being noticed for being a Christian. And cowardice becomes familiar because no one thinks weird of us or saying weird things about us. And people can talk freely. You know, when, when I say I'm a minister, it's just like the biggest buzzkill in the world. It's a social, like, you know, wah, wah, wah. So what do you, you know, I'm hanging out. My kids school and, you know, kids. So what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a minister. Oh, that's great. And then they ask you all these weird religious questions, you know. Because no one wants to curse in front of you, which is fine. I get that. But we get used to it. Like, oh, I just love being liked. When I was a fired up young Christian, that's why I like sharing my faith. I was so used to just trying to get people to like me because I had this, I had that, I had this and that. Then you have to put Jesus out there and just watch what people do. You know, when you're, when you're young and you're fired up, you kind of like that squirm. But then you get used to the familiar. And it's scary. It's scary. What will accountability look like? What would sacrifice feel like? What would being open about my faith do? What reading the Bible and praying consistently do to me? Low devotion. We get used to it. Over in the 9 a.m. service, right? Brother came up to me because he was, he goes, look, look, Dave, look at some, there's more people here on time now. And look at some of these people haven't come to church, they've been coming back. And he was excited because he's been working on that, right? Look, 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 isn't that great? I go, wow, that's sad that that's something exciting. Because we've gotten familiar with the darkness. Isn't that interesting? You know, you can tell us to just get all worked up and you know, stressed out all the time? No, because we can actually please God and do great things without just being crazy. But we also got to not get used to the darkness. It becomes familiar. I appreciate people like Tom O'Brien. He's out there. Did you see him? Hey, service is starting. Great thing about Tom is he's huge. Pardon me? I didn't get that. Oh, well. Something going on here. Oh, yes, that's true. He's a tall man, and he's like, hey, hey, 
Everyone, come on in. Come on in. Oh, coming in late. Come on in. Come on in. Everyone, sisters, don't be talking out there. He was just like getting those arms. You know, I, next time we're going to give him those little, like little orangey flashlight things. We'll do that. Well, you don't need the bullhorn, but the flashlighty things will be great. Come on in, come on in. But he goes, we got to be on time. We got to do it. You know, it's great when someone cares. They've not gotten used to the darkness. You know, in marriages, you go, well, you know, things are good now because my wife's not complaining as much. You know what? That could be scary, too. It can be scary because sometimes when we start shutting our mouths, we're accepting things and saying, you know what? It's never going to change. And when we're complaining, sometimes we still believe it could get better. We still have views of change. So don't be so happy when the complaints drop because it may mean something else. And yet the darkness can be familiar. Let me tell you about eSurance, a little article there. Driving close to home. You might think the drowsiness that accompanies a long road trip is more of a threat than cruising around your neighborhood. But car accidents often take place within just 25 miles of home. While this, is, <coughs> while this is due to the fact that most driving occurs close to the home, the relaxation we feel caused by the repetition of driving through our own neighborhood likely plays a role. If you've ever gotten home from work only to realize that your brain was on autopilot the whole drive, then you know this phenomenon. Driving in familiar places can cause us to rely more on muscle memory than on our active driving skills, making us less likely to be hypervigilant on the road. It's funny, when I'm trying to get to somewhere unfamiliar, it seems like it's taking a longer time because I'm watching everything. And when I'm going home, I go, wow, this seems a lot shorter. The darkness of the familiar can make us afraid of the light. And I want you to understand, sometimes you go, oh, yeah, the familiar, it's just terrible. we got to do something new. Remember I just said earlier, new isn't, sometimes, new isn't sometimes the best thing. And I want you to understand, line three, do not look for new externally. Do not look for new externally. When Jesus is a light... He's not a shiny, pretty thing to look at. Go, ooh. A lot of times we can be emotionally and spiritually like that dog on the movie Up. Hello. Squirrel. And we think the solution is let me change something outside. Let's, let me go here. Let me do that. Let, let me just change something. No, actually, you know, sometimes new doesn't come from looking externally. When Jesus is a light, he's supposed to turn on a light in us. And it's not about focusing on something new. It's about becoming someone new. In line, line four, it's about seeing things differently. Seeing things differently. And now you can catch up. The, the, the slide is up there. Kathy is very smart, quick thinking. No wonder she's as awesome as she is. It's about seeing things differently. That's all, what Christianity is all about. That's what faith is all about. Did you know that? Faith isn't just to get you hope or just to go, oh, wow, something good can happen along the horizon. It's actually to see the good in your now. And the question in line five is, how powerful can you be with your now, with your today, with what's going on in the moment? See, a lot of us, 
want love for a long time. Do you guys want to have love for, for all your life? It's a little quiet there. Well, you know, we'll talk about how hurt you are. But, you know, when you, when you really think about, wow, you know, we want love for a lifetime. You go, how does that happen? I want to have a spouse that I could just love passionately for a lifetime. You know, my wife and I were driving back from visiting my parents yesterday. And I don't know what we're doing. We were just laughing the whole time. Like, we we're just talking about things. We we're just making each other laugh, remembering old jokes, retelling old jokes. I mean, these are just jokes that we were laughing about all throughout the week. And we just had like this highlight reel of all the jokes we told this week. I don't know why, it just made us laugh. Our kids think we're crazy. <laughs> but you go, how do you, how do you, how can you have love for a lifetime? You got to just see what you have and see it differently. Learn how to enjoy what you have. Learn how to be happy with what you have. Because no one blesses a tantrum. I've said this before. I'll say it again. You give your child a toy. I didn't want this one. I wanted blue. You gave me red. I wanted blue. You don't want to go get another toy. You're like, learn to like red. Now. Or what do you want to do? I'm going to take that away from you until you get what? Grateful. Because you just got to look at what's new in what we have. See how your spouse is growing and changing, not that they've repeated the same mistake over and over and over again. A lot of times when we're in marriage or with in any sort of relationship, someone does something to trigger us, okay, and it really hurt. And they may try to change, and they could have changed 50%. So they drop 50% of the occurrence. But guess what? When they do it one more time, you feel as if they've never changed. And we don't get credit. We don't give credit for, wow, this person's really improved. Because we just want things new. We want that person to be perfect or different. Instead of just going, wow, let me just see you in a different way. Take a look in verse 12. What's the setting for Jesus. Jesus is the example. We go, oh, Jesus is a great light just by his words. No, Jesus is a great light because of who he is. Jesus is a great light because you can watch him, see how he does things, and go, wow, I could be different. I can learn. Let's look at the context of this. In verse 12, when does this happen? When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he withdrew to Galilee. You know, this starting point, what we see here, this time, this is the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This is when the world changes. This is when he decides to embark on his preaching and his teaching and doing everything that he's going to do that leads to his crucifixion. And when does it start? What's the starting point? Is it this grand gala? Is it the floaty man with the arms? And it says, grand opening, change coming. Is it a man flipping something on the street corner? No, what it is, is it starts with your cousin is in prison. Your cousin's in prison. This isn't just any old cousin. This is a person, they're only six months apart in age. They're raised kind of close. They were very close emotionally. This is the cousin who baptized Jesus. This is the cousin he grew up with, and they shared the same vision. They both had the miraculous beginning. They both, from very little, were spiritually gifted. They were the little big shots 
of spirituality. Have you seen that Steve Harvey show, right? Little kids that do all these little cool things, right? They were the little big shots spiritually stood up, squirt a coat of scripture for us. Okay, here we go, Deuteronomy, you know? And they, they would just do all these things. Who knows? Maybe they're doing little miracles, you know? You know, hey, Jesus, will you clean up the, the stables? Okay, great. You know, will you build this house? Oh, poof, right? You know, they're little big shots spiritually. They were bonding over this vision that they shared together. They were going to change the world together. And boom, he's in jail. That's the beginning point. How is Jesus a great light? Because he saw opportunity in the obstacles. Line six. We've got to see opportunity from the obstacles. That's Jesus' starting point. It's very interesting when we do that. You've got to understand, your obstacles right now are an opportunity. Your obstacles right now are telling you to start something big. Your obstacles right now are telling you to be great. Do you see that? Do you feel it? You see, a lot of times we just kind of get away from that perspective. We look at our obstacles as, you know what? That's just my end. That's my wall. I got to stop. But do you see your obstacles as a starting point? not as a wall? Do you see your obstacles as God blocking you from what you want or telling you you could have something greater? What do you see as your obstacles? Do you see is it God telling you you can't do it? Or is it God telling you you can do it and so much more? What do you see in your obstacles? Do you see it's the reason this because of this obstacle I don't or I won't? Or do you see your obstacle as something God telling you you can and you will and you'll do it in a heroic way? See, it's so important to just feel and see things how God would. God is not out there to hold you back. He's out there to build you up and help you see more. The, the context of this passage in verse 17, if you look at it, actually not verse 17, in verse 15, it says, Land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. That's where it says Jesus started his ministry. Now, you understand from Jewish culture, it's a little bit different. What they're thinking is, you know what, the kingdom, everything has to start with Jerusalem. Even when Jesus was preaching and teaching, they go, well, what could come out of Nazareth? What could come out of Galilee? This movement started. It didn't start in Jerusalem, so we can't even hear it. That's kind of what happened. Because in their minds, the Jews believed Jerusalem was it. Jerusalem is it to many religions, not just Christianity, but to three, count them, one, two, three, world religions, Jesus is it. Uh, Jerusalem is it. For the Jews, the kingdom is centered around Jerusalem. To the Muslims, God's movement is centered around Jerusalem. That's why there's so much conflict in the Middle East. And even Christians value Jerusalem. But because Jerusalem is the starting point of the kingdom, it's where the kingdom got kicked off. But it's not the starting point of Jesus' ministry because the prophecies actually said the Messiah would come out of Galilee. Isn't that interesting? But you see, the Jews, their minds were so stuck on this is how it should be, even though the scripture said something different. You know, our traditions and our conventions can limit what God can do. 
our thinking and our expectations of how we want it and how we want it to go, it can just limit us. Convention can numb us and not see what God's doing in our lives. Tra tradition and pride made, made the Israelites think a certain way. They were Jerusalem-centric and Jew-centric, and they couldn't see. Even then, it says, from the, from the Gentiles, Jesus is going to come. A place where there was mostly Gentiles. They were not from there. Not from those people. And so they couldn't really understand or get Jesus. You know, the kingdom will begin in Jerusalem, but they didn't understand the light can start somewhere else. Whereas convention, tradition, your will, and how you want it to be dominated your thinking. Where has negative thinking dominated you? Because you have to get out of these views and these ways of being in order to see the great light. You know, line seven, in, in, the, in the slide, if we show it, it's different, but I want you to kind of write in a different word. You know, in line seven, we've got to see beyond our soul traps in order to get beyond the obstacles. Your soul traps. Soul traps. Not the soul train, but your soul trap. There are things in, that dominate our mind and our heart that keep us from becoming who God wants us to be. See, the Bible says, love God with your mind, soul, and strength. And so your psyche, your being, your essence, so soul in the Greek is psyche. So who you are is a, is a combination of your mind, your heart, and your strength. And I want you to understand, it's easier to change your mind than it is to change your heart. Did you know that? As children, when we're growing up, our, our, our thinking part of our brain isn't even developed yet. If you abuse substances early on, your thinking part, the thinking part of your brain actually is delayed in its development. It's the prefrontal lobe cortex, for those of you who need the actual sciency of it. But when you hit adolescence, that part of your brain starts expanding and growing and developing. Okay, But before that, you're just an emotional being. And so everything that you're experiencing gets part of, becomes part of your emotional being. I appreciate Tao sharing that, you know. Hey, when I was growing up, I just had this emotional feeling. And many of us have that. And it limits us. Because we're afraid. When trauma happens, it just registers. It just goes boom, right from your thinking part, hits your heart part. And you're just, you're just kind of shaken at your emotional being. So when you're going, man, it's so hard to be different, guess what? It is. And you need to see the light to get out of all that. We have mind traps, things that just get created by our traditions and our culture and our spiritual being. You know, we've gotten too familiar and comfortable in the darkness that exists. Right now, I'm going to call, I'm going to do a little agenda preaching. I, I, I'll tell you that. You know, but I appreciate a lot of our fellowship breaking out of it. You know, we, we had this model where, you know what, we're going to outsource parenting to a, quote, teen ministry that exists outside of our being. It's like this alien ship, the teen ministry. We, put, we heard the kids in there, and they should come out perfect little Christians. We go, no, no, no. Parents, you've got to be involved. And that's hard. It's been hard to get our parents bought in and tied in to that expe expectation. You've you got to be involved if you want to see your kids be who they, wanna, who, who they should be, who God wants them to be. 
You know what? Our singles ministry, we got too scattered. And we feel emotion about it. Well, I just don't want to sit in the boat of the people who aren't going anywhere because I want to get married. A lot of people want to get married. We entertain it in the back. But you know what? If we don't grow this singles ministry, Prince Charming or Princess Charming, it doesn't exist elsewhere where everyone else is evangelizing. And then Prince or Princess Charming isn't going to get wrapped up in a box and dropped on your doorstep. It's that same mentality. We'll outsource this, and somehow something perfect is going to walk into my life. It's very interesting. We have to work together and focus to see it grow. Can you believe? Can you see? Can you feel a singles ministry of 30 to 50 people, of people that you think, wow, these are cool people. We're a kind of alike. I could see myself long-term with this person. Can you see or think and believe that? No, no, when I think of singles ministry, it's 35 women and five guys, and we watch the five guys drop off like flies. So we're just all going to go, let's migrate to everywhere else and just kind of wait. How do we see it? We've got to get out of what we feel. We've got to break past what we think and realize in this community, there are many men who are in their late 30s to 50s who might have gotten single again. They might be single again, but they are looking. They are looking for people with the spirit of Jesus in them to build a great future. Can you think that? Can you get out of your mind trap and out of the, that soul trap, that heart trap that makes you go, I'm just going to live this way day in, day out, day in, day out. Now, I tell you, let me, let me be honest with you. Um, I appreciate Edgar and Don coming in. They're working with the poets. Rob and I are going to really work with the singles. You go, when's that going to happen? I'm, there, there's some things that have been really, really challenging for us that we've been taking care of. But we, we, we remember our promises. We stand by the promises. But we have to collectively here have to have a new vision. Because I can't get you out of your mind trap. I can't get you out of your heart trap. I can't get you out of your soul trap. Jesus will. And he has to be your great light. And you have to say, wow, Jesus expects more, wants more, and my desires and heart and vision are part of God's plan. Let's go to chapter uh, 4, verse 23. Jesus faced an obstacle. What did he do? Verse 23. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. He got busy. He said, I'm going to teach, I'm going to preach, I'm going to heal. That's your now talking. I'm going to start really just getting back to what God wants me to do. You got to rock your life stage as an opportunity. Jesus just said, My partner in the faith is in jail, and I'm going to be great with what I got. Can you do that? Can you have that heart? Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Close out soon. We can work together, and God can do something great. Do you understand that? But we have to decide God could do something great because Jesus is the great light. We've got to look at him and say, how can I be like Jesus because this is going to be awesome. In Matthew chapter 12, in verse 38, 
Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. He answered, A wicked and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but none will be given except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a huge, huge fish, so the Son of Man will be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. The queen of the south will rise at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth and, and to listen to Solomon's wisdom. And now something greater than Solomon is here. You know, it's interesting because they go, hey, Jesus, give us a sign. And Jesus says, what? Are you kidding? Remember, we just saw, what was he doing? Preaching, teaching, and healing. Okay, there were enough signs. Jesus, there are enough signs here. He says, let me tell you. Look at, look at the history. The word of God tells you who's going to condemn you. Well, who? You go, well, we got Jonah here. Let's talk about Jonah. Jonah, he was swallowed by a big fish. Some say it was a whale. We don't know. But he was swallowed by some big creature, spit out. He did not want to preach to the Ninevites. The Ninevites were Gentiles. And this guy just walks in, all fish goo on him, and tells them, hey, listen, you got to repent. And the city of Gentiles go, we repent. He goes, you know what? Those people are going to condemn you because you won't listen to me. Jesus says, hey, guess what? Solomon was a king and a queen from a whole different place came up and said, Solomon, teach me. She's going to condemn this generation because it wouldn't listen. And he just says, I am greater than all of these. And you still won't listen. I am teaching, preaching, and healing, and you still won't listen. We've got to get our hearts soft because there are enough signs already. You can tell me what didn't happen. You can tell me what didn't go on. You can tell me what you've endured. But also, I could tell you what God has done and what he has done in the Bible to get you to go, wow, my dreams can still come true. And we've got to get our hearts soft. Go to Matthew chapter 13, verse 10. Because if we can't see greatness, our hearts have gotten hard. That's it. If we're expecting God to just kind of drag us through life, our hearts have gotten hard. That's it. God could do so much more with your now, but you got to see it differently. you got to focus on how Jesus would respond. In Matthew 13, he says, gosh, you got to be careful in verse 10. Jesus, the, the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing they do not hear, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You'll be ever hearing, but never understanding. You'll be, you'll be ever seeing, but never Ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become callous. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. You know what's interesting here? Jesus says, I am intentionally vague to see where people's hearts are going to go. You are hitting that obstacle for a reason. Things aren't exactly clear for a reason. It's confusing right now for a reason. To see where your heart's going to go. To see if you're going to soften your heart and listen or harden your heart. And just keep going the way you're going. 
what do you want to do? Let's go to Matthew chapter 12. In line 8, it just simply says, it takes a soft heart to see. And take your now and let it make it soften your heart. Matthew chapter 12, verse 43, Jesus closes out with this. These are the keys to greatness. Jesus is a great light. When an impure spirit comes out of a person, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I'll return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house unoccupied, swept clean, and put in order. Then it goes and takes with it seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that person is worse than the first. That is how it will be with this wicked generation. You know, Jesus says, I've done enough. I've cast out a demon. Now fill your house. I've done enough. I am a great light. And I can, I can do one miracle, but you got to fill your life. you got to fill your heart up. If you don't fill your heart up, more demons are going to come in, and your house is going to be worse than before. You can't be an old Christian and be worse than you were spiritually than when you started. What happened is this. God cast out a demon. You didn't fill it up. And seven more are getting you stuck. And you're getting familiar with demons living in your home. They've shut out the lights, and you're just stumbling around and treating them as house, house guests are just trying to coexist with them. And God says, no, I'm going to cast out a demon. Now you fill up your house. What can I fill up my house with? We already talked about it. Fill up your house with honesty. What turns on the lights more than anything is you just get in touch, and you go, hey, this is what's going on in my life. This is where I'm at. This is what I'm struggling with. How do you fill up your house? With accountability. You go, what? That's a bad word. You know what accountability is? You pick what you want to change. Ask someone to help you with it. It's not we pick what you're going to change. You pick what you want to grow in. I didn't say accountability was control. I just said accountability. Allow yourself. Open up your life and say, can you help me? What else? Devotion, passion about God's church being awesome. Fill your house with that. Why? Because these are the people that are going to help you get there. So let's make their experience mutually exciting. When our people come up here to sing, why should we be on time? Let's help them out. Yo, oh, you dishonor God. You know who else you, you hurt? The people who are up here. But you know who these people are? They're going to be the people who help you. They're up here to encourage you. So why don't you come early and encourage them? See, fill up your life with these wonderful, beautiful people. I know you. You know one thing I felt when I hear, heard Tao speak? I just go, wow, this is amazing. But whenever I hear any of you speak, I come. The, the, the quality of heart and love in this group is amazing. Fill yourself up with them. Fill yourself up with each other. What else can I fill myself up with? Get people to church, especially single men over 38. Let me tell you. Let me tell you something, okay? I love our singles, and I want you to understand, and I know our singles have wanted to help our teens, and I, I, I appreciate your heart there. But let's get our parents helping our singles. Because you're interfacing with lots of people who are single adults around these people's age. Bring them to church. 
pray passionately that you're going to meet some people that can help grow this ministry. Can we help in return? Singles help each other. I'm not down. Just so you, I want you to mis, don't misunderstand me. Singles helping teens and all that, it's great. All this stuff is good, but we can't do an exclusion of the parents. The parents have to be primary in their children's lives. That's just the natural law of Christianity. Okay, that's all we're trying to do. Okay, but here's the thing. We need to get this singles ministry awesome. So we do have to do a little, you know, we only have so much time in a week. So we got to figure out how do we make this awesome? So we got to work together. Is that clear? But we got to fill up our house because there's only so much that's going to fit in your house, okay? So I'm not telling you just like hoard, okay? We're not talking about spiritual hoarding where you're just like living in squalor. I'm just saying fill it up with good things. But we got to have vision and watch what God does. But let's keep our eye out. We'll do a good job helping our kids. That's going to be the easy part. The harder part is let's help out the community. Let's bring men and women who want to have a beautiful, lifelong love with someone else and with God into this fellowship so we can build it in the way God desires. Sound good? But this is what we're shooting for. I hope you can really connect with how Jesus is a great light. Let us be a light as well. Have a great time in fellowship.